I'm Alika Boma, and you're listening to a podcast hosted by the Accelerating Achievement for Africa's Adolescence Hub, hosted by Oxford University and the University of Cape Town. This podcast was recorded as part of a series in Oxford in November 2019 to discuss the theme of understanding adolescence in African contexts. Thanks for listening. Hi, so um, we're recording a podcast about storytelling and adolescence and um, just going to explore um, how adolescents tell stories, um, how stories work for them, um, how stories work for people generally in terms of presenting their identities and their problems to each other. Um, uh, there are four of us in this conversation. I'm just going to um, ask people to introduce themselves. I'm Alika Boma and uh, I work in literature, I'm very interested in storytelling, um, and I'm a storyteller myself. I'm a writer of fiction. Um, I'm Hermann Wittenberg, and uh, I teach literature at the University of the Western Cape, and um, in an interesting context, almost 2,000 undergraduate students. My name is Caroline Jimmy. I'm a PhD student in global health, I'm working on violence against women. And I'm based in London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in London. I'm Femi Oyebodi. I'm an academic psychiatrist uh, whose uh, primary interest is in psychopathology, but I also uh, teach medical humanities, so using uh, novels and and poetry and plays to um, uh, explore how patients are and how they perceive their illnesses and so on. Well, perhaps using that as a jumping off place for me, um, I was very struck by um, a conversation involving a couple of us here, I think it was yesterday, where um, you were um, remembering back to uh, a radio interview you did with somebody, with a, uh, a person younger than yourself in their early 20s, who felt a bit inhibited about telling his story in that context of a radio interview. And then it was an experience in common that encouraged that person to uh, feel more confident about telling their story. Um, Yes. Could you you remind us about that situation? Yes, I I can do that. Uh, Maybe it's probably helpful just to set it as a kind Mm. of preamble to say Mm. that that commonality is kind of one of the things that you would normally use in a a kind of psychotherapy group to help people who are a little bit more anxious about saying what it is that's uh, happened to them in the past. So they may then find that somebody says something, then it opens up the space for for them to also voice their you know their their issues and their the basis and the causes of their distress. So in this particular situation, is a young a, a young twenty one year old Nigerian poet, and um, for these purposes, I was uh, being you might regard me as a sixty five year old Nigerian poet, and we're being interviewed to discuss um, the nature of uh, fatherhood, and the idea was whether we were becoming our fa- our own fathers. So that was a kind of theme. 
and um, and he then turned to the uh, to the interviewer and said to the interviewer, "You do know I've already told you before before I agreed to do this that I lost my father at a young age." And um, and the interviewer said yes. So I then said to to the both of them, I said, "Well, I lost my father when I was seventeen, and that allowed the interviewer too to say, "Well, I lost my father when I was quite young." And, and it was obvious, demonstrably obvious, that the, that the young 21-year-old poet relaxed because he had heard that we had lost our fathers at a young age, but we were there able to talk about it. And it then allowed him, during the, the recording of the program, to open up about how that had affected him. So it's, it's the opening up of a space that that helps people to share stories. Um, do stories themselves work as space opener openers? From my experience, I have the imp- working with street girls in Cameroon for the last two years. I have the impression that telling the girls telling them so- their story was a way to find some sort of validation from people. They will be telling their story, but they will also want the person who is listening to understand what she's been going through, to validate her feelings and to accept her as she is and actually try to support her. Because those kids, you know, living on the street, on the cold, the cold weather and living in the daily basis, you know, trying to make it every day and not even being sure about tomorrow, but still making it onto tomorrow and then come back and talk about yesterday. For them, it's like, wow, I've made it. So I'm telling my story so that people understand what I'm going through and they can actually not only understand what I'm going through, but they can also in some way relate so that I don't feel alone. But because when we usually do the group, we have kids coming, like girls coming from everywhere of the, of the town. So I think I have that impression sometimes they want to relate with someone in the group and they want to they want their feeling to be validated and then they also really want to share, you know, what they have been going through. And Are there, out of interest, in those, in those situations when they're sharing their stories, they're seeking validation, yeah. are there particular things that they do verbally to, to get going or to kind of keep, keep going? Yeah. I mean, like, is it choric? Do people say, I don't know, yes or... Mm-hmm, I agree with that. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think there is usually a lot of interruption mm-hmm. among them. Like someone will be telling their story and the other will be like, yeah, I did that yesterday. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Like that really. Mm-hmm. And also I have also uh, noticed that when they're telling those stories, they tend to be laughing around. But it's not, and sometimes the laughing interrupts, like disturbs the session. But I got to realize that they're not laughing in purpose. I think that's their way to relieve the stress. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they feel very uncomfortable sharing Mm -hmm. difficult things. So they have to find that way to really, you know, make them feel themselves comfortable and not trying to be like, oh, she didn't share or she was ashamed. Like they're Mm -hmm. in that competition where they want to get their story out. But at the same time, they're also afraid of reaction. So telling that story makes a difference. Mm. makes it a huge difference because at the end of the day they feel like yeah maybe we'll be living on the street doing all those things we are not alone I'm I'm thinking also about um, echoic patterns echo like patterns 
um, we were just hearing in the poetry session we had earlier about um, um, kids, you know, these school kids that we were talking about picking up on things in the poems they were reading that corresponded to their lives. And then I'm thinking also about the women saying yes or, you know, or laughter even is kind of like picking up an energy and kind of feeding it back. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, from the practice of um, uh, teaching English literary studies, yeah. um, I've become really more and more convinced that we need to think about breaking down that boundary between what we do as a practice, analysis of literary texts, yeah. and actually the stories, and and really focus much more on the bi-directionality of, the, of what we do, yeah. that we create in our teaching nexus points between texts and ourselves and learn how to insert ourselves into the stories. So instead of just doing an analysis of what the poem or the short story means, how about rewriting it into your, in your own voice, inserting ourselves into that story and transforming it and making it part of, of our own lives. The one doesn't replace the other, but, but these are ways of, of rethinking the relationship between us as readers and uh, liter literature. So I think uh, increasingly I think there's a, there's a sense that, that, that stories are not just objects of, of study, but that they can uh, change the way we, we think, the way we lead our lives, and that we can actually narrate our own stories, because that's the point in the end, mm -hmm. to, to become the author of your own story. Uh, there's something very interesting about narrative, about stories. Um, I, I talked about that yesterday, that Hannah Arendt saying that um, stories are a form of action. They're not just words on the page. They are the way in which we insert ourselves into the into the real world. Yes, if I might add something to that, the um, so I, so just speaking at, um, at a seminar for retired psychiatrists about three or four weeks ago, and as using um, as using Othello and uh, Medea as a way of um, doing some work. But so the reason for saying bringing that up is that. In using Othello, um, I was using it to come back to the self. So mm -hmm. as I say about Othello, that he, Othello is a, a black moor from North Africa, and that even though he's achieved a lot to be a general in the Venetian army, he's a bit like me, who is <laughs> a black African, who is an immigrant, just like he was, and who's on the, on the superficially, you might think, is very successful. Mm -hmm but retains all the vulnerabilities that make it possible mm. for Iago to produce, mm. induce jealousy. Yeah. It, so, so exactly mm. what you're saying, mm. that you're, you're using that account that everybody shares. I don't have to open Othello up in a big way, mm. but I can use him and then I can insert myself in it and they look at me differently, the, you know, the 15 or so retired people mm -hmm. and, and we use that and then and then to use the same about the the kind of loneliness that uh, being an immigrant does for me dear 
So she's married to Jason. She's uh, left her own country. Mm -hmm. She's put on her all in with Jason, and you know she's helped to kill her brother, and mm -hmm. she's helped him to get the golden fleece and all that sort of stuff. And then he chooses to marry another woman, <laughs> and and then she's properly socially isolated. But the emphasis here is on what it does to you when you're immigrant because you 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 you're kind of detached and uh, disarmed. So so it's doing exactly what you are doing. But you are uh, we're doing the storytelling and we're doing it in a story that everybody knows about. So you, are, you have to do a lot of hard work to get that little account, you know, you, you know what William Carlos Williams might have called a you know, word machine, <laughs> you know. So you've got that little gem that's already been created for you and then you can use it mm. to open, mm. but you've got to be confident enough to insert yourself mm. into it because I don't think, you know, if you had met me 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to insert myself into a storyline that says an immigrant is vulnerable. Mm. So I'm a bit older and not mm. as anxious as I was. Yeah. Therefore, I can sit mm. within that story without being mm. anxious about it. I would definitely wouldn't have done it 20 years ago. So again, it depends on when it's ready, when you're ready to be able to do it, or which story it is and so on. Not just any story, Shakespeare. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah using a yeah. wonderful kind yeah. of account. You know, it's a yeah. high level account um, because you're also right so when you look at the Othello one of the other things I was saying is that, uh, that Shakespeare has understood that in order to make him properly vulnerable he also gives them epilepsy and we're doctors so, so mm. it's important that I connect with them mm. that he's a person who's got epilepsy mm. and what uh, having a disability of that sort does to your sense of self and all that sort of stuff so that's how that is how competent the writer is that particular mm. writer that is understood that he's not just being an immigrant that makes him vulnerable, but he gives him another stigmatous condition that makes him even more. And not mm. only that, he actually that gets him to have a fit mm. in the play. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. so he, it's not mm. just that he's talking about it in the abstract, but he mm. actually gets him to have a fit in the play. So yeah, so it, it, it does open up these possibilities for us. It, makes it gives you a, a room to be a bit detached it allows you to insert yourself in it because you've got a bit of detachment it allows the other people to examine that situation and use it to do some work themselves and because you've given the permission to insert themselves in it they may not do it in language in verbally in public but it's going on inside them because they too then reinsert themselves in it and use it to explore their own lives and so on mm -hmm. I'm very interested in um, this being part of what everyone's been saying, um, and you know this is too like weighty a word for it really. But I'm really interested in the embodiment that's also involved with stories. And we've been talking about insertion. We've been talking about you know inviting people to be part of stories. We've been talking about manipulating stories. Um, you know Hannah Arendt saying that you know we we, we we can use these stories in order to affect um, you know political change or you know to, to to create a positive reaction but what what also as part of all of that interests me is that total immersion it's quite primal actually in stories it's like mm. sort of rhythm is very primal in poetry you know it kind of mm. sweeps us along Without our really being fully aware, I think of some of, of, of some of the effects. And um, I was I, a little while ago, yesterday, I was telling somebody because we were talking about Jane Eyre, you know, the Charlotte Bronte novel, and I was once listening to that on an audiobook, 
Um, I knew the story very well, but I just wanted to refresh my memory from certain things. So I was listening to it while driving in the car, and you know, touch wood, it's the only time I've had a car accident because mm. I was so inside the story mm. that I drove into a post. Mm. Mm. Um, so there's there's that. It's that that way in which with storytelling we're both. If we're listening to someone else's story, we or reading it, we we are both inside and outside, mm-hmm. as you were saying, mm-hmm. Femi. You know, sort of both inserted and yet also able to. I don't know, empathize, which I mean, empathy involves you know stepping into the other person's yes. shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Elika, I think you're correct. There's something mm-hmm. deeply primal um, and deeply connected to being human. Mm-hmm the way we tell stories and we have and the way we have told stories you know for a hundred thousand years or, or longer and I think so there's something very deep and 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 effective in, in mm-hmm. stories but there's also something deeply ethical in stories because mm-hmm. stories are always um, life-affirming even if there are terrible stories which are maybe then cautionary tales, but, but generally all stories, the stories we've grown up, affirm life, mm. affirm living together in a, in a humane way. Stories celebrate the good. Mm. And so stories are different to actually life. Right? Stories mm. don't mirror life. Uh, and the bi-directionality of this is interesting, that, that when we study stories, when we read stories, when we tell stories, when we write stories, we, um, we engage in an ethical activity as well, which, um, which you know, to use Aaron's words again, which, which is able to, to action mm-hmm. something in, in the world. So there's something very precious, very unique, and mm. um, about stories which we need to hold on to and and, mm. and cherish and and uh, build on, especially in our new liberal world where often the humanities, which is really about stories, mm. humanities, mm. is is often seen as not making a valuable contribution. Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of both an instrumental thing, which I worry about a bit, you know, using stories to improve the lives of young people. But then mm. there's also, um, you know, that way in which these in these stories, these poems work in spite, in spite of those UN mm. programs, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, they are, they, they, and yeah, yeah, yeah. they are, a, they are just a kind of a power, mm. a power of kind of, there, it, you know, there's a pulse in stories, a physical energy mm. moving forward that mm. that can that can be harnessed to the good. I, 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 I myself, I'm not I'm not as sure as I think you just were there, Herman, about the ethical mm. power of stories. I think it's something that does have to be harnessed, and that you know some mm. really terrible stories can be told. And I'm just going to kind of go around um, our small circle here. And just ask if you have a kind of closing thought about, I mean, any of the multiple aspects of storytelling we've touched on, be it empathy, be it force, be it identification, uh, be it insertion. Um, Caroline, do you want to? Do you want to? Yes. Yeah, so say. So thank you. <laughs> So I think on my, in my opinion, I think we have to talk more about 
the wind session because I'm still gonna talk about my own experience. Mm-hmm. Like working with those girls from the street, they already are looking at themselves like they are not part of the society anymore. So telling the story really not only validates like yeah you're still part of the society, but it also brings them to the table like to talk about their difficulties and to you know to people from the society and us. This is I mean to our turn to take those problems whatever they're going through and try to I don't know bring it to the next level to find a solution so I think really bringing them together as we say during the hub really bringing those youth like from the beginning of the process they have to be part of the discussion from the beginning and I think the discussion starts with telling their stories um, thank you Herman and Femi yeah, yeah? One thing which I really found very interesting in this hub workshop uh, was sort of some insight from the colleagues from psychology about mm. what is so strong and important and pronounced in, in adolescents' lives. Um, this intense interest in, in, in the social, the, the search for authenticity, for, uh, for the real, for risk-taking, and I thought to myself, uh, yes, this is, this is, these are good things to take into account when, when we choose which texts to, to study at, 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 at university. Uh, so that was a very practical way in which, which, you know, that was a moment, one of the many moments which I thought was really, really practically very interesting and useful in this workshop. And Femi, thanks, Helen. Femi. Yes, the um, just trying to see how how st- stories work. You know, so I've got a I've got a patient of mine many years ago who is a is a working prostitute because Caroline's talking about girls that work you know, girls on the street and he's a working prostitute and he's a ba- been a patient of mine and I could tell you also the stories about that. But I stopped looking after her, so she moved because I changed jobs and all that. So she moved away and I didn't see her for twenty years. Hmm. And I'm standing in the canteen, in the hospital canteen. I've got this woman standing in front of me about to pay. And she turns around and she says, I bet you don't know who I am. And and I thought, this this woman. And and just like I thought I was going to panic, her name came to mind. And I said, of course I know you. I said, you are are Debbie. And, And Debbie, you haven't changed. You haven't aged a bit. She said, she turned to me and said, very, says, 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 he says, liar, liar, but tell me all over again. It was there, isn't it? You know, yes, through fiction to truth. Yeah. 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 So it's a wonderful kind of captured event. And, um, and I've gone and written a poem about it. And I've inserted her into a poem which is totally about uh, something completely different. But I'm telling you that story again. And it's a beautiful story, and and um, and I use it to, to use it with medical students, and I use it for um, I use it for all sorts of reasons. One of the reasons I use it is for the sheer hum- humanity of Debbie. That when I tell it, the nobody does just it becomes irrelevant that she was a working girl. Hmm. That's what I mean. Yeah. And what comes out of all of it is the wonderful, fresh 
interaction and relationship between Debbie and myself, and um, and 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 um, and I can imagine that you know I've got a glint in my eye, and and she's got this wonderful glow in her eye as we make that exchange in the canteen, you know, and and I think you we're using it. They're just like amazing tools. They are you are all the time. In you know, experiencing tiny little human events that become accounts that we give to others, mm-hmm. that we use it to open up human life. We use it to show what is ethically right about how you know, if you want to teach a young medical student how to respect patients, irrespective of the fact that they come from a different social background, mm-hmm. because most doctors are from a middle class background and they've never met a a prostitute before in real life and they've never met somebody who is a criminal who is in prison they've never met a murderer before and if you're going to be working with a psychiatrist all of those people you'll be mm-hmm. seeing them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so you i have to find a way to get a young person not to be dismissive not to be contemptuous mm-hmm. to regard the real person and to have affiliation with that real person yeah. and and often it's storytelling that does it yeah. You know, it just cuts across all that stuff, mm-hmm. and they can get a real sense. But I also do with the actual patients. So with the actual patients, I find some account that can get them to laugh, and then I can laugh. And then all the kind of my, my funny, awkward accent, and the fact that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, African, happen to be living in England, all of that falls away, and we just become two people in a room together, and then we can do the work that we're really there. So mm-hmm. it's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. And maybe we can end on that line, tell it to me again. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. Do have a listen to the others in this series on understanding adolescence in African contexts.